Hi, ladies. Thank you for being leaders in your Bible study groups. Get your green highlighter and green pen so that you can underline some important statements and make notes to help you lead ladies in a meaningful discussion of God's Word. Let's delight in studying and sharing the precious words of the Lord to us. This is the Leader's Guide for uh, Come Let Us Worship, Psalms 52 through 61. On page 104, there is a section called Arranging the Flowers, and we will discuss Psalms 52 through 60, and then I will talk about the lesson on Psalm 61. So let's begin by looking at the arrangement of the flowers. You can see in the introduction that Psalm 62, I'm sorry, 52 through 60 are a part of the circumstances in David's life from which we learn and grasp the big picture. So I've just grouped them all together. And in the next paragraph, these Psalms speak of the trials and the enemies that David encountered and show his steadfast trust in the Lord. So in this exercise, you're making notes of the circumstances that are given and the statements of trust that David expresses. So I recommend that you go around the circle because this is just going to be uh, walking through this page. Discussion is certainly allowed, so let the ladies know. We'll go around the circle, but you're certainly free to comment and ask questions and, and pause things. Um, but let's just plan on... Um, one lady doing the circumstance and then another lady doing the trust. And you leaders should probably call on them and reiterate. Um, so, Linda, you do Psalm 52 and tell us the circumstance. And I'll answer that question right now. That was when Doug, Doeg, Dog, <laughs> the Edomite, came and told Saul that David has come to the house of Ahimelech. And now, Courtney, would you do the trust statement out of Psalm 52? And verse 1 and 8 say, The loving kindness of God endures all day long. And David says, I trust in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I have just a little FYI. That's not any big deal. But um, in that verse, the loving kindness of God, it is his name, El which is just interesting that he says L there. And then the second, um, in verse 8, he is trusting in the hesed, the loving kindness hesed of God. And I think it says Elohim for God in that um, verse 8. Not a big deal. Um, I also will comment, I should have said this regarding the circumstance, that when David went to the house of Ahimelech, if people didn't look this up, the background is that that was right immediately following Jonathan's message to David. Yes, Saul wants to kill you. I shot the arrow. You need to flee. Get out of here right now. So that was the first time that it was confirmed that David need to flee from the presence of Saul. So that's what this starts us off with. Now, let's see, um, the next lady, Psalm 53, and what is the circumstance? 
they might tell you that this is a maskell, and a maskell is a contemplative psalm. So if they mention that as part of the circumstance, that's fine. This verse 1 says, the fool says that there is no God. They are corrupt. The fool is corrupt. The fool has committed abominable injustice, and none of them do good. When that verse says there is no one who does good, it's referring to the fool. There's no fool that does good. It's because he's denied God, so all of his actions are going to be in rebellion to God. Um, so the circumstance is that there's a lot of corruption going on and abominable injustice. And that is uh, painful to be uh, surrounded by and a part of and impacted by. Psalm 53, the next lady, tell us the statement of trust. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice. So what you see here is when there is anticipation. The salvation of Israel is coming. It's like, oh, let it come now. And God is going to restore his captive people. Psalm 54, the circumstance. It's a masco. Uh, when the Ziphites told Saul, David is hiding among us. Don't you just like go, ugh. What did they want to do that for? They were probably get, trying to get on Saul's good side and protect themselves from Saul's fury. I, I don't know, but I'm just thinking about that. Um, the trust statement in verse 4 is, Behold, God is my helper. Uh, the Lord is sustainer of my soul. Behold, that is, that's a exciting word. Hine is the Hebrew, and it is a demonstrative interjection. Anybody who loves uh, English and um, writing might like to hear that. It's a demonstrative interjection. And you know, interjection is getting your attention. Behold! And that's stressing the following word. Behold, God is my helper. God is my helper. And Adon, the Lord is the sustainer of my soul. Psalm 55, the circumstance. This is a masculine of David, so a, a contemplation. Um, the voice of the enemy, the pressure of the wicked is bringing down trouble on me, on, on David. And in anger, they bear a grudge against me. You know, just thinking of that situation and you have probably felt it sometime in your life when somebody is just angry at you, they're bearing a grudge against you, and you're like, this doesn't need to be this way. Um, the trust in Psalm 55. Um, I have a little note that verse 16, and I'm not sure why I wrote verse, verse 16, but my statement, oh, I got it. I will call upon God. And God is the uh, formal noun that is the background to verse 18. He will redeem my soul in peace from the battle which is against me. Many strive against me. So David is definitely trusting that God will redeem him and give him peace. And he knows the battle. Psalm 56, the circumstance. This is a mictum, uh, something precious and something to be inscribed and remembered the circumstance is um, the circumstances when the Philistines or Philistines, 
seized him in Gath. 1 Samuel 21, 10 and 11. It's accorded, this psalm is written according to the tune of Jonathan Rehokim, the silent dove of those who are far off. And that's just an interesting thing to read, and I'm not trying to make a big deal of it. It just makes me think. Nobody said this, but when I read that, I think of David being the silent dove who's far off and far off from Jerusalem. Um, But nobody says that. That's just kind of what comes to my mind. I mean, no commentator said that. The trust of Psalm 56 is, In God I put my trust. I will not be afraid. Psalm 57 is also a mictum. This inscription, precious psalm, set to a different tune. Al-Tashaheth, do not destroy. I mean, the names of these tunes seem to me to communicate the heart that's going on here and David's desire. I hope, you know, don't let, don't let Saul destroy me. The circumstances when David fled from Saul in the cave. And there were two different times where he was kind of close to Saul in a cave. The trust of Psalm 57 is, My soul takes refuge in you, God. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. There's a waiting. Oh, wow. Psalm 58, also set to Al-Tashaheth, Do Not Destroy. The circumstance is that people are carrying out unrighteousness and violence instead of righteousness. They're not judging rightly. So unrighteousness and violence is going on around. What is the trust in Psalm 58? The righteous will rejoice. There's a reward for the righteous. There is a God who judges the earth. I, I looked at verse 10 a little bit for that answer as well. Psalm 59, the circumstance, same, Al-Tashaheth, do not destroy. This was when Saul sent men and they watched the house to kill David. That was actually at the very beginning. If we were putting these psalms in chronological order, then we'd put Psalm 52 and then we'd put Psalm 59 because Saul sent men to David's house right after he fled from Um, from Jerusalem. The trust of this verse is, I will sing of your strength. I will joyfully sing of your hesed, your loving kindness, in the morning. You have been my stronghold and refuge. Psalm 60, the circumstance is, um, uh, well, in the heading we see that it's a mictum, which is to teach something. And Mictum is still that uh, inscription, precious psalm. But this one specifically said is it is for teaching. And the perhaps tune to which this psalm, song was sung, Shushan, um, I can't read it. Edith, Shushan Edith, Lily of Testimony. That just sounds like, oh, this is, this is a flower of praise. Um, this is what I'm going to share because of what God does. And the circumstance, and I'm just talking um, about my reaction to that title of the, the tune of the song. 
But the circumstance that we want to make sure that we're noticing here is that this is about when David, David struggled with those two um, places. And Joab returned and smote 12,000 of the Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So this is um, a war that's going on. And what is the trust? In verse 12, through God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our adversaries. So you can really see how that statement of trust is uh, due to the, the war that's going on. David is anticipating victory because of the Lord. Through God we shall do valiantly. This is not a big deal, but I'm just going to tell you one of the things that I highlighted as I went through this page. And so when I look at this page, I have highlighted the Psalms that have a specific historical event in their heading with one color. And then I highlighted the other one with that didn't actually say that event. I did it a different color. So... Um, the Psalms that mention a specific event in David's life that you can then look back in First and Second Samuel and see what's going on. Psalm 52, Psalm 54, Psalm 56 and 57, Psalm 59, and Psalm 60. And um, it's just, it's a little bit interesting to me to see that in this section of Psalms that talk about troubles that are going on, um, it's kind of back and forth, interspersed. Here's an event, and then here's a general uh, statement. An event and a general statement. And I don't know all the ins and outs of the order of these psalms, but you can see how they all fit together as an overview, part of the circumstances of David's life. And in each one, there is... Clearly, I hope this exercise has emphasized the trust that David has in all of these hard circumstances. That's what we can learn from this. At the bottom of the page, you could write a question in and just ask if there are any general comments or reactions to these psalms as a whole. When you look at them all together or if anybody has any comments that they wanted to make, in particular. So um, that is, I hope, something to enjoy and to encourage the ladies, especially as we look at the circumstances of trust. There may be some questions that bubble up, um, so just have a good discussion about those things. And now let's go to Psalm 61, summing everything up with a song, there's a desperate prayer and a powerful hope. So I'm on page 106. And you could ask the question, how many songs do you know praising the Lord as your rock? Did any come to mind? Did you note any? Some of the ladies do that often. They mention songs. So give them a chance. And skip the responsive reflection section instead. Let the first question be a little bit of the moving into this psalm discussion. Um, okay, under those lines... There is a statement that says, this song has two stanzas. The first is a request, and the second is an expectation. So let's look at the request of Psalm 61. 
Why is David calling on the Lord? You could have considered the previous page of circumstances, but you didn't have to. So I have, from the ends of the earth, David is saying he, um, well, <laughs> he, he might be on the run. He might be hunted by Saul or other enemies. And his heart is faint. He's weary. Why is David calling on the Lord? He's got trouble. <laughs> I mean, he's worn out. So from the ends of the earth, that means he's not home. He's out. And his heart is faint. Um, next question. And there, you know, ladies may have more answers. They may have named some things from the previous page. That's fine. That's a pretty open question. We're mainly looking at verses 1, 2, and 3 and seeing that his heart is faint. The next question, according to Psalm 61, 2 through 4, what does David need? What is his request? He needs a rock. He needs someone who is stronger than he is. He needs refuge, security, relief. He needs God's strength and the strength of God to protect him. They may have written verses out, but those are my summary of what I saw in those three verses. Several different images are used to describe the protection and security of the Lord. So we looked up the words of these images. Rock is the Hebrew word tsur, T-S-U-R. The Hebrew definition is that it's a boulder, a stone, a mountain. So this is a big thing. This is not a little rock. Uh, so also it could be a, a cliff. So think of something massive that you can climb on or uh, find a cave in. Refuge from Psalm 61.3. Hebrew word maksa. The Hebrew definition is that it's a shelter. A place of refuge, a shelter, a trust. A place where you can trust that you will be safe. And I also have the word hope here. So when you're sheltered, you have hope that you are going to be safe. It's a place of hope. At the top of page 107, shelter from Psalm 61.4, it's the Hebrew word sether or sithra. The definition is that it's a cover or a covert, a hiding place, place of protection. I um, must have done a little more studying this word with this covert aspect of it, can be a place where you are hidden, but it also can mean to hide something kind of in a bad way. I have some strange words that backbiting, covering, uh, disguise. So this word could refer to hiding something that you don't want to be found, and that could be um, a disguise, and it could be... Um, in a bad way. But uh, when we're hidden, the Lord's hiding us because he doesn't want us to be found. <laughs> That's good for us. And it's a protection for us. So this is one of those words that has sometimes like, wait a minute, how does that have this negative meaning? Well, these words, as you see in the next paragraph, are poetic images and just a reminder, please draw attention to the last sentence before the box. 
We are reading the Bible literally, which means we're reading it according to the type of literary devices that are used. It is a book of literature. Now, it's a living book, but it is written with literary devices. And that's why we know that the Lord is not a rock with wings. In the boxes and in the italics below, we have three explanations of how wings could illustrate shelter in this psalm. Um, They can be strength and endurance, like the wings of an eagle. They could be referring to the wings of the cherubim that are in the Holy of Holies. And those would be the protective wings of Yahweh when you flee to the temple and seek asylum there. And then you saw my own experience of, of a mother bird, a killdeer bird, who was guarding her eggs and spread her wings out to protect them. So the wings are a poetic image to give us the idea of being protected. David was not the first to understand that the Lord was a rock and a refuge. Notice how the following verses describe the Lord. Genesis 49, 24. uh, God is described as the mighty one of Jacob. Jacob was actually doing the talking here. He is the shepherd, the rock of Israel. So uh, Jacob, who was renamed Israel, called God the rock, his rock. Then Deuteronomy, there are three different verses that I've given you to look at, and it's pretty fun to see all of the imagery that comes out um, in this passage. 32.4, God is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are entirely just. From verse 11, God watches over his nest like an eagle. He hovers over his young. He spreads his wings and catches him. He lifts him on his pinions, which are his wings. And from verse 15, he is the rock. God is the rock of our salvation. Ruth 2.12, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for protection. So that's uh, interesting to see at that time in the nation of Israel that I think this is Boaz talking back. I did not double check that. Um, that Ruth is finding protection under the wings of the God of Israel. And then we have a discussion question. So let's talk about this in your group. Do you run for cover under the shelter of the wings of the Lord only when there is a time of trouble? The main question to talk about is how can you keep yourself dependent on the Lord's protection at all times? So you may want to Uh, Read this question in two um, phases. Just ask the first one, which is probably kind of a nodding or shaking your head yes or no answer. Do you run for cover? Only when there's time of trouble. And hopefully they're kind of saying no, but then move to the, you know, let's talk about how can you keep yourself dependent on the Lord's protection at all times. Uh, The song, children's song, came to mind read your bible pray every day and you'll grow 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 so that came to mind first of how you can keep yourself dependent read your bible pray every day but also i didn't stop there i need to acknowledge my need um and then also i need to recognize and be careful not to 
depend on someone else or something else. I need to recognize if I'm putting my security in someplace, someone other than God. Um, one way to do that might be to ask yourself, um, what can I live without? Uh, ah, what is supporting you? What is most important to you? Maybe because your heart and you love someone, but we always need to make sure that we're, we don't make an idol out of someone and we don't put our uh, security in someone or something besides the Lord. I'm turning to page 108 now, and we're going to look at David's expectation of the Lord. We've seen his requests, and we've seen his need, what he wanted, but now what does he expect the Lord to do? In the second verse of his song, what did David expect and why? Psalm 61, 5 through 8. David knew that God has given the inheritance of those who fear his name. So this inheritance already belonged to David. It has been given to him. He trusted that it was his, perhaps needing to be fulfilled, but that it would happen. And he did expect a long life with God and that his uh, loving kindness and truth would be with him. And he expected to praise God. There are a lot of good things that David was expecting. There is an expectation of what is coming and a confidence that you will have it, even if you don't have it right now, when you're trusting the Lord, that's what's going on. And then we see that David made a, a few very amazing statements. You leaders could read these phrases and pause and let the ladies fill in the blank. Let me dwell in your house forever. The king will abide before God forever. So I will sing praise to your name forever. So what was David thinking when he said this? How could this be fulfilled? The Lord actually did promise this to David, but we need to understand which king, verse 7, was talking about. The king will abide before God forever. And we look at the Davidic covenant described in 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. What did the Lord promise to David? The covenant promise of God to David. He promised that he would raise up a descendant um, of David and establish his kingdom, that he would build a house for the Lord's name, and the throne of his kingdom would be established forever. So David knew that God had promised that to him, and he depended on that promise. According to 2 Samuel 7, 18 and 19 and 28, 29, how did David respond uh, to that promise of God? And he said, who am I that God would do this for me? This promise is for the future. Um, in verse 28, David says, you, O Lord God, are God. Your words are truth, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Bless this house that I may continue forever before you. Oh, no, I'm sorry. May it. Bless this house. May it continue forever before you. So David did understand that the house, the dynasty, the 
the reign of King David and his sons would continue forever. And I'm probably saying what's in the next paragraph. David is praying for himself. He also includes prayer for the king who is to come and the king would be established on his throne forever. David expected the Lord to fulfill his promises in the Messiah. So we're seeing David expecting God to fulfill his promise in the coming of the future king. And we ask the question, are you waiting for the king to come? What are you doing while you're waiting? What should you do? Note the exhortations from the verses below. So while we're expecting, we're waiting, but what's our behavior? 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 and 2. Don't be shaken or troubled as if the day of Christ has already come. So in this verse, Paul is telling the uh, Thessalonians, don't think that you have missed rapture or that you are in the, tri the tribulation. The day of Christ has not already come. Second uh, Timothy, they had to be discerning. I just want to throw that out because this is a time in our culture to be discerning. So the Thessalonians needed to be discerning. They did not need to be listening to every single person that was telling them this or that. They needed to listen to Paul and the truth and understand what God's word said would happen. So um, they needed discernment. Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Jesus will judge the living and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. That is regarding, um, well, he's going to do a lot of judging. He's going to do judging. Jesus will do judging when he calls his saints at rapture. There will be the judgment of the believer at the Bema seat. There will be judgment on earth when Jesus returns after the seven-year tribulation. He will judge the living on earth. And then he will judge the dead at his uh, great white throne, which is at the end of the millennial kingdom. So I'm not trying to be complicated, but just, to, and you don't have to talk about that at all. But I just wanted to mention it in case it gets muddy or there are questions. Because it's referring to, I'm pointing you to uh, verses that are talking about the future. But what do we do right now while we're waiting for the things of the future to happen? Preach the word. Be ready all the time to convince, rebuke, exhort with patience and teaching. So we need to know God's word and be ready to share it. And that word convince is that's something to think about because it means that someone needs to be convinced. I don't know what your translation said, but that's what mine said. Um, one of the things that we're to do. Titus 2, 11 through 14. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. So while we're waiting for uh, Jesus, we are to live soberly and righteously and godly lives, looking for the appearing of Jesus and be zealous for good works. Let us do good works. Let's do good works. Let our light shine before men so that we will glorify our Father who is in heaven. In the midst of terrible times when we are desperate for a safe place, we can find security in the presence of the Lord 
and in his plan. That's what we're to be grasping and gaining and believing from this psalm. And we, I would um, offer a suggestion that at the end of this lesson, if you have time, read Psalm 62 together aloud. It's at the top of page 109. So this would be a, a statement and a prayer, a declaration. Psalm 62, 5 through 8. I love this first line, my soul, wait in silence for God only. So maybe you can read that whole uh, passage together with your group. And I hope and trust that you will have a really good discussion of um, Psalms 52 through 61. Thanks for listening. My in-depth Bible study workbooks on Job, Psalms, Ezekiel, Matthew, Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, and Hebrews are available on Amazon. My coordinating lectures are available on my website and YouTube and other podcast episodes. I pray that God's Word will be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path.